Hi folks, and welcome to another episode of the Future in Finance podcast series. This week we're talking about CMAP topic 8, which is collective investment schemes. And if you're new here, this podcast is dedicated to helping you smash through those CMAP, CMAP exams every other week. We pick one of the topics from the London Institute of Banking and Finance's study text, and we work through it together. We try and give it some pizzazz and drop in some real world examples to help you along the way. But before I forget, I should mention that we're about to up the ante and start bringing you an episode a week real soon. So they'll still drop every Wednesday. If you don't want to miss an episode and you want to show me some real love, you can hit follow and press the little notification slash bell button on Spotify. Not only will it give you a little ding when we've dropped an episode, but it'll also give me a good indication of how many real live people tune into this each week, which just brings me so much joy, I can't even tell you. This week's episode is technically our first episode on location, the location being Costa del Cheshire. It's a tropical 27 degrees here, and I'm delighted to tell you that I have Maria here in person. Ready to learn some stuff, Maria? How are you doing? I am good. I'm I'm swaying. It is sweaty titty hot. <laughs> it's really warm. Me too. Uh, okay, let's fire through this housekeeping so we can get some learning on the go. I should tell you that I now only have 12 spaces left on that early bird waitlist for the CMAP Masterclass. It's the CMAP 1 five-day fast-track course where you don't just get the delight of me with seven other students. You get a one-to-one with me, an interactive e-learning course, all the audio study guide stuff, the Future in Finance ebook coming soon, and also so much more. It's the bargain trial price of £279, which is 60% off its full price. And if I didn't mention, you also get lifetime access to all the material. So if you don't pass the exam first time, and don't stress, hardly anyone does, but you can reset the course for free. So you can literally come back on the fast track course for the five days for free. I don't know if you can hear the ice cream van in the background. If you can, I'm really sorry. The editing on this is terrible. It's the opening of a horror film and we're now all dead. (laughs) So no other provider provides that offer to you. Everyone else says you can have access for four weeks. You can sit the course once and then we never want to hear from you again. And the reason it's priced at only £279 is because I'm going to be asking you guys for some feedback in return. So the course is being built, it's been trialled, it's been a massive success, but I want to make sure it's perfect before I start charging full price. So if you're interested, head on over to futureinfinance.co.uk, click on the early bird waitlist and chuck your email address in there. If you're already on the list, expect an email in the next week or so with a little bit more information. And just remember, signing up to the waitlist does not commit you to buying the course or to booking on the course. It just means that you'll be the first to know when spaces become available to book. So if you're thinking, holy fuck, that is a bargain. Yes, you are correct. It is a bargain. Go and put your email address in that box and sit tight. You will hear from me soon. Okay, that was a lot. And I'm sweating again. (laughs) Maria, can you introduce the you-know-what? It's the Q intro music. (gasps) Q intro music. Okay, collective investment schemes. Now, I'll be honest, this unit isn't even remotely sexy and it is a bit dull, so we're going to have to do our best. As usual, this is not a comprehensive study guide. We cram whatever we can into about 25-ish minutes. If you do want more, head on over to the website, but today we're going to take a look at unit trusts, open-ended investment companies, also known as OEICs, and endowments. Yeah, dirty. (laughs) So, first, 
the fuck is a collective investment? Let's start here and break it down. So an investment is something that you put money into to make more money. So an investment account, an investment property, investing in shares in a business. So with an investment account, you put money into it and you hope to make a return on your investment. It's the same with property and it's the same in theory with shares in a business. Are you with me so far? I am with you so far. Perfect. A collective investment is basically where a bunch of people put all of their money into something and the idea is to make more money out of it. Okay. So it seems relatively straightforward and honestly it is, there's just some really big words that we need to work through. So collective investments are generally referred to as collective investment vehicles and I don't know why it's called that but it might help to imagine a bunch of people and all their cash money dollar in a classic mini like a clown car and you're not far off with that. Oh, I was going for like a coach, coach trip. Oh, coach trip everyone, was better. Everyone in and on with a suitcase full of their cash. <laughs> that one's better. Work with that one. So cash coach trip mm-hmm. is also a collective investment vehicle. <clears throat> Sorry. So a collective investment can generally take one of four different forms. So you've got unit trusts, investment trusts, investment bonds, and open-ended investment companies. This unit in the textbook is quite heavy. I'm not going to cover all four of those today, so we're just going to look at unit trusts and open-ended investment companies for this section. And since I can probably already hear you zoning out, Maria, reel it back in for me because there is a test at the end, so you need to pay attention. I'm paying attention, I'm paying attention. Okay, good. So let's talk about why someone would even want to put their money into a pot with strangers. And there are a number of advantages for doing this. So with a collective investment, you would use an investment manager, which is great because they're going to know what they're doing. It's their literal job to invest your money. And also it means that you're not footing the bill on your own for that investment manager. So they can be quite expensive. In this instance, all of your pooled money would pay for their fees and their services. So the costs are split between the group, which is always a bonus, but also it takes the onus away from you doing your own research. I know there are some people that like to invest their own cash and honestly props to them because I do do not have the time and I like looking at finance stuff. (laughs) So investing for me makes me sweat even a little bit more than I am now. So you know that with a collective investment, your money's in safe hands and you don't have to spend any of your precious time looking at the how-tos or like the idiot's guide to invest in. Another benefit of a collective investment is that because you have so much more money in that pot to play with, your investment manager can diversify your your money and spread the risk further, which you probably wouldn't be able to do if it was just your money in that pot. And this method is called diversification. And Maria, we were talking about this earlier. I was debriefing you on the podcast and you explained this well good. So I'm going to put it out to you, put you on the spot and say, can you explain it, please? Okay, so my limited understanding. Basically, diversification is when instead of investing in one single area, your money is spread across multiple different areas. So instead of just investing in computers or tech you invest in tech and pharmaceuticals and other arenas so should one area fail or the money go bang your overall amount is protected because you have invested across the board in multiple different areas you're gonna put me out of a job if you keep doing that i swear it's not as easy as she's making it sound (laughs) i have a very good teacher (laughs) 
Um, just to let you know, guys, I have seen diversification come up on a couple of mock exams recently. So it was something along the lines of which of these is classed as diversification, and then it has four examples. So just re-listen to the last 90 seconds that Maria has so elegantly <laughs> explained for us if you just want to bag that mark in your exam. And there are a few other benefits, but our time is precious today, so I'm going to take the executive decision to switch us on over to unit trusts. So I guess let's start by explaining what a trust is, just in case you're not sure, and I wasn't sure until I read the textbook, so don't feel bad. A trust is an arrangement that is set up where you can put assets, mainly money, in there, and though that money is then looked after by whoever you want to appoint as a trustee. Maria, have we covered this before? No, but it's basically the plotline to every bad Hollywood film, isn't it? Somebody kills someone for their money, but it's invested in a trust, and they can't get their sticky little mitts on it. It's exactly what it is. By the way, it's not the same as trust fund, like if you think of trust fund baby, which I think was like a 90s thing. It's not the same thing. No, it's still very much a thing. We're just way lower class than them. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I see. It's not just a thing that they make up in films. No, it's, it's an actual thing. Oh, well, no, aren't I sad? If anyone is a trust fund baby, drop drop a note in the comments <laughs> so we can just casually take the mick out of you, please. That would be great. And by mick, I mean mercilessly sledge you. <laughs> so I guess I'll give you an example of why somebody might want to set up a trust because it might help you to understand it a little bit better. Let's say I have a bunch of money that I want to be used only for paying for my kids' private school fees and subsequent... You don't laugh so hard. (laughs) I went to private school. Don't send your children to private school. That's the only reason she has that accent. She's from Manchester. She just got sent to private school. (laughs) And subsequent university costs. So I'm, in this instance, going to assign Maria as my trustee, which would have been my first mistake. (laughs) Basically, it's then her job to make sure that that money is used how I've asked it to be used. Now, because the money is in trust, it legally no longer belongs to me. I have no access to it, and it legally can't be used for anything other than what is set out in the trust deed. A lot of people look at trusts to pay off inheritance tax amounts. Um, I'm not going to go into that because it's overcomplicated and we don't need to know about it for today. It might be something that we circle back to. But if you're thinking, why would somebody just want to give up all their money and put it into an account that they can't access? There are reasons that people might do it. So let's move on to a unit trust. If we break it down, it's a trust that has to be managed in line with the rules, like we've just said. And it's a trust with a pooled investment. So it's where a bunch of people put all their money into the pot. To explain the units, I'm going to use Maria's favourite kind of analogy. And no, it's not a dick joke. I'm really sorry. What? It's a pizza pun. Okay, well, can we just refer to it as my second favourite? That is fine. I'll correct it on the script for the next time. Um, So a unit trust is divided into units with each unit representing a fraction of the trust's total cash money dollar value. So think of each slice of pizza being one unit. The entire pizza would then be the total trust value itself. With me? Got it. Okay, good. If it's something called an open-ended unit trust, it means that there might be lots of investors who want to buy more units so the manager can create more units. It's like a bottomless pizza. Ooh. 
Now, not all types of collective investments are open-ended. Investment trusts, for example, which you can look at in the textbook, but we're not going to cover it today, are closed-ended. I'll come back onto that shortly. Okay, with the unit trust, you have two different kinds of units. First up, you have accumulation units. So this is where any money that you make on it automatically gets reinvested into the pot until the time comes when you want to cash in your investment and hopefully make some money. And you also have a distribution or income units, which splits off any income that's received and they distribute it right across all the people who have slices of pizza or the unit holders. Now with a unit trust, it basically aims to produce a return or make you money by selecting a bunch of different investments that will grow over time, it'll generate an income. And if this happens, the price of that unit also increases, meaning that the investment, when you cash it in, will be worth more than it was at the outset. A key role of the manager is to select the right investments that will achieve the trust's objectives in terms of income and growth. So really, it's just like any other kind of investment that you can imagine. Now, Maria, I know what you're thinking. How are units bought and sold? All right, yeah, tip of my tongue, mate. Edge of my seat. <laughs> if you've got an investment in a unit trust and you want to access that cash, your unit trust manager is obliged to buy those units off you and that's basically how you make your money. So your trust manager can buy units direct from other managers or through intermediaries, which if you're new here, it's just a fancy pants word for a different kind of financial institution, so they work between themselves. Units can be purchased in writing, if anybody does that anymore, by phone or also, I imagine the most common way now is online. Now, purchasers may receive two really important documents from the managers when they buy units. You get the contract note, so this specifies the number of units, the unit price, and the amount that you've paid for it. It's also really important because it gives the purchase price, which will be needed for capital gains tax purposes when the units are sold. And then the second really important document is the unit certificate, which specifies the fund, the number of units and the proof of ownership for the units. Now, for regulation and tax purposes in the UK, unit trusts are primarily regulated under the terms of the Financial Services and Markets Act, and they are authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, who specifies rules aimed at reducing the risk that's associated with unit trusts. So the trust deed that we mentioned before, if I was going to put my money into trust for Maria to manage for my kids' private school fund, still don't laugh, <laughs> uh, the trust deed places obligations on both managers and trustees. So the manager's job is to generate profit for the unit trust and the trustee's overall role is to ensure that investors are protected and that the manager is complying with the terms of the trust deed so he isn't just left kicking around with the cash on his own. Somebody is there to check on, <laughs> in on him. And the role of the trustee is usually carried out by an institution like a bank or a life company. So there's another kind of aspect at play here. You've got, you're putting your money in, you've got the investment fund manager and then you've got the trustees who make sure the fund manager isn't Leonardo DiCaprio in it all over the shop. Oh. If that's how Wolf of Wall Street went down. I don't remember anything past the, the, <laughs> that opening scene that scarred me, I'll be honest with you. Now, with unit trusts, there's no tax on any gains within the fund, meaning that <clears throat> if you're an investor, 
you'd be liable to pay capital gains tax. So you'd have to declare it and then you'd have to pay it yourself. The onus is on you. And then when it comes to risks of unit trusts, because they're so heavily regulated and they have that legal element of a trustee checking in on the manager to help mitigate fraud, the risks involved in investing are pretty low. So unit trusts funds typically invest in what's called a spread of between 30 and 150 different shares, but it really depends on what you decide to go for. And honestly, you don't need to remember that number. Just pulled it out of the textbook because it looked kind of fun at the time and I'm regretting my decision now. (laughs) Uh, The actual risk, as Maria explained earlier, depends on the kind of trust that's selected. So there's a wide range of choices, meaning that it can match your risk profile, but depending on what you invest in, depends on how much money you're going to get out of it. And there's no guarantee that you'll get any of your money back. That's really disappointing. Yeah. It seemed like a really great idea until that. Oh, I'm really sorry. It's just the same as any investment, they have to say. It can't guarantee anything, ever. Yeah. Never expect anything and you're never disappointed. That was a lesson I learned (laughs) when I was very young. (laughs) I feel like... A therapist would have a lot to say about that statement. Moving swiftly on, (laughs) we've got open-ended investment companies. So OEICs is what you'll see in the textbook. And it's a limited liability company that pulls all of its funds of its investors to buy and sell the shares of other companies and deal in other kinds of investments. So the main difference with this is, is it's a limited liability company and they mainly deal in the shares of other companies. So to invest in an open-ended investment company, you would buy shares in that company. There's no limit to the number of shares that can be issued, which is exactly why it's described as open-ended. Again, think of the pizza analogy. You can just keep making more slices, which definitely doesn't work with the pizza thing. But It doesn't work with the pizza thing. I've tried it. Okay, well, um, you get the point, though. You can keep making more units, so it's open-ended. And then investment company... I see. So you've got open-ended OEIC investment company is just a limited company and all of a sudden an OEIC sounds a little bit less daunting. I'm hoping so anyway. Yeah, sure. You've not, you're, not, you're not with me at all. No, right? no, I'm not even remotely. Okay, so you've got unit trusts. Yeah. You pull all your money together. Yeah. You've got the fund manager and you've got the trustees. Yeah. An open-ended investment company. Yeah. Is an investment company that's a limited liability company and they buy shares in other businesses, and they can buy as many shares as they want. That's why it's open-ended. That's it. Oh. Okay, yeah, that's... With me now? Yeah. Okay. I'll take mostly, and I will keep ploughing through, and if you have any questions at the end, please raise your hand or just come back to me. So like any other kind of investment with OEICs, the value of the shares does vary according to the market, what's going on at the time... So there's a risk to your underlying investment, but it's down to the company to manage that risk. And hopefully you'll come out with something at the end, but there is absolutely no guarantee. OEICs are FCA regulated exactly like the unit trusts are. And when it comes to tax, you've got a couple of different options. An OEIC will be classified as either a fixed income investment or an equity-based investment. So if it's fixed income, it's subject to income tax as savings. And if it's equity-based, you get it paid as dividends and then you would just follow the dividends tax line. But I'm not going to dig into that because we've done tax to death and everybody zones out, including me. So if you need more information on the tax stuff, you can go on over to the website. You can head on over to Instagram. Also TikTok these days at Future in Finance UK because somebody took Future in Finance, which is very annoying. Those um, bastards. 
but you can get loads of helpful tax information on there. And then when it comes to the risks of open-ended investment companies, they're really similar to unit trusts. So it's got the same rules in relation to diversification. So be great, but if you put all the money into electric vehicles, you're a bit bollocks. But the <laughs> idea is, is that you diversify the funds so it helps to reduce the risk. It's a pooled investment, so you employ the services of a professional investment manager, which means the degree of risk is lower than if you were trying to figure it out yourself. And honestly, that's really it for open-ended investment companies. I keep saying it and it doesn't get any easier. It doesn't, no. Maria, how do you feel about that? Awful. Oh, what about the, the topic? Yeah, I don't know. Not the topic. The topic is fine. I think it's just all the different investment companies and all the different ideas i think the main takeaway from this is that investments are very complex and if you want to get involved one with a fund manager seems like a really smart move Mm -hmm. that's where i'm at with that yeah i mean not that i'm in any financial position to invest except from in potentially my next food shop but you know I mean... Investing in yourself. Exactly. You know, what's the self-care and all that? I'll invest in that. Some nice bath salts. So I think if you break it down a little bit, if your head is falling off, you just need to remember that this topic is just focusing on collective investments. So these are just two different types of collective investments where people pool their money together. In order to achieve a greater return on their investment. Exactly. Okay, well, You've got it. it's not as terrifying as I first thought. And then if I turn around to you and said, can you tell me the difference between a unit trust and an open-ended investment company? I promise it is not as difficult as you think. Is that going to come up on the exam? Have you seen it? No, I know it won't <laughs> Can you see me trying to find a loophole for everybody listening? Absolutely, I definitely can. You're welcome, I'm doing the work for you guys. <laughs> Do you know what I am just going to add to this and say if there's anything that we've covered that doesn't make sense please just let us know because our job is to try and make this more understandable for you guys. And if I've not done that, then I want to be better, which I'm pretty sure is what they tell you to say, tell you, say, say the mirror every morning. I want to be better. Um, so honestly, leave us a comment, drop me a message in on Instagram, whatever you need to do. If you've got a question, please do come and ask because it helps, helps me to help you. So that would be great. Uh, I did say this topic wasn't sexy though. No, it's not sexy. Although, hang on, speaking of sexy, the the next thing that we're moving on to is endowments. Dirty! But my question is, if an endowment is a type of investment based on a life insurance product, why is endowment, like, why is it well endowed? Why is it a dirty word? I'm assuming it's because you're packing, financially speaking, enough to be able to do that. Therefore, you you know, I mean, obviously, being well endowed financially would mean that you could invest in this situation. But and then, then someone that was probably would have been friends with us at that point was like, do you know what else he's well endowed in? Oh, yeah, you're so right. Yeah. That probably is where it comes from. So yeah. we're going to be talking about the boring kind of well endowed at this point. So. Yeah, this is um, this is only finance, not only fans, guys. Sorry, <laughs> only finance. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna trademark that one. <laughs> now, endowments are a type of investment based on life insurance. So they combine life insurance and regular savings. I do need to add here that I'm using the word life insurance instead of life assurance because they basically mean the same thing. If you want more information, please do head on over to the website or to Instagram. I've explained that a little bit better. 
a lot of people get confused in the textbook because it'll say assurance. It's just another word for insurance. I don't know why they do it, just to fuck with us. So I'm going to use the word insurance. You'll see that the textbook uses assurance. So the idea is, is that a lump sum is either paid if the life of the insured person dies during the term or if they survive to the end of the term, it's paid at maturity. Now, endowments vary according to the nature of the underlying investment structure. So you can have a with profits and unit linked endowments. And I'm not going to dig into those because they are a bit of a mindfuck. But okay. um, the audio study guides are perfect for this. Also, the masterclass that I'm doing is also kind of perfect for this if you want to head on mm. over there. Um, but... If you do need help with those, do message me. There is information on the Instagram, but I don't want to bog your brain with those. So the idea is as long as you make your monthly payments, your with profits endowments are pretty low risk as they offer the guarantee of at least a minimum value at maturity. So the idea is you get an endowment policy, you insure yourself till either death or the age of 65. Right. You make your payments every month. Yeah. If you die, it pays out a guaranteed minimum value. If you reach 65, it also pays out the agreed value. There's, like, no risk. Oh, so you know what you're saying about investments are always at risk? Mm Mm-hmm. Is this one of those that's not? Kind of. So there's a minimum value at maturity, but what you actually want is for the market to perform really well and for your investment to perform better than expected. If the market crashes at a really inopportune time or everything just falls apart... You might not get as much as is expected, but you will always get the minimum agreed payment. Okay. So unit-linked plans don't carry a guaranteed value at the end of it because they are unit-linked, so they are linked to the market. Right. So that is basically, you've got the with profits, which is an agreed amount minimum at maturity. Right. And then you've got the unit-linked, which is based on market performance. Okay. That is the really broad overview. I'm not going to go any further into that. No, that's fine. Perfect. Do you know what? I think that might be a really good place for us to stop today. I feel like there's a well-heavy 25 minutes. Yeah. So that was a little bit of CMAP 1, Unit 1, Topic 8, boxed right off. I know I mentioned it at the start, but please remember this podcast is not a comprehensive study guide. It's here just to give you an insight into each unit and help support your learning If you do need more, head on over to the website. If you didn't catch it the 400th time I said it, it was futureinfinance.co.uk. And I forgot to mention it before, but if you're interested in the audio study guide, you have the option of purchasing one topic at a time. So if you found that topic eight has come, you've listened to this podcast and you've been like, Charlotte, I'm none the fucking wiser with this. You can go and just buy just topic eight and it will only cost you a tenner. Which, let's be honest, is a bargain. I don't even know what I can buy for £10 these days. I went to Starbucks the other day and it cost me £8.19 for a cinnamon bun and a vanilla latte and I was bigly miffed about it. Yeah, that is... A first world problem, if ever you've heard one. No, I'm trying to fathom what was more expensive. It was the coffee, It was the coffee, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely the coffee. God damn it. No. Now, my favourite people, go better yourself, go get the career you want, and go get help with your CMAP studies with Future in Finance. As always, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want to know about, if we completely fuck this episode and you're none the wiser than you were before, <laughs> then please do tell us, because we want to help. Um, this podcast kind of fell on us completely by accident. I guess it fell on you completely by accident, and I would love to know that you've listened. We have the podcast, we've got Instagram, which is at Future in Finance, we've got at TikTok, which is at Future in Finance UK, and all the stuff that I've already mentioned. It's been an absolute dream having you here. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to catch you in two weeks.
Love you, bye. Oh, cute outro music. Cute outro. Ooh.